John, our streak of uh, great guests continues this week. We have the Cubs president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer. Gold star to you for that. That's a great get. And uh, he doesn't do a ton of national interviews, but uh, very, very well-spoken and insightful. Really looking forward to talking to Jed Hoyer about a team that is beloved, not only on the north side of Chicago, but throughout Chicagoland and for many people around the country. Yeah, we'll talk about the dynasty that never was. We'll ask him questions about what is a big offseason for him with lots of additions. For the first time on the show, we'll dive into a mailbag and we'll do hit and error at the end. And maybe you'll be surprised if I give you a hit or an error, John, at the end. We'll see. <laughs> we'll have to see if you're going to have to stick with it on the whole show if you join us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, this is an evergreen podcast, but I do want to say that on the day we're recording it, it's January 31st, which means tomorrow, if we're playing the game correctly, is February 1st. And of course, something in, I think, our baseball writer biological clock says that once the month switches to February, we're in spring training mode. Do you like spring training, John? I do. I love spring training. And, uh, you know, we spend most of our time in Florida, but it's great to get out to Arizona. I haven't been out for a few years. I was scheduled March, was it March 12th at night and uh, COVID hit and I canceled my flight. And then the next morning, MLB delayed playing anymore. So that's my most recent memory. But Arizona is very convenient and nice. If anybody's planning to go, easy to get around, but uh Florida is the one we spent the most time in. Tampa's nice. It's improved. And the Port St. Lucie is improved. I, I would say, uh, you know, some of the Florida cities aren't my favorite. I won't name any. When you say improved, you know, if, you go, if you go from zero to one, it's not a g- gigantic improvement, right? Like, is there a <laughs> no, I, I like there Tampa. or something now? What, what's the... I, I I like Tampa. It's 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 not bad. It's You were only there for a week, right? You can do it. I know right. it's not New York. I, I flew home on March 6, 2020. And uh, a couple of days later, uh, we weren't covering anything. I was in Arizona and I flew home. That was the last assignment I had before COVID struck. John, uh, we're in a period right now, not tons of news uh, in our little world. Jeff McNeil signed a four-year extension for $50 million. The Rays signed a bunch of people to extensions. The Marlins and the Red Sox made a reliever for a lever trade, uh, Blyer and Barnes. This morning, uh, Dexter Fowler, long-time terrific outfielder, retired. Not, not a lot. So we figured, let's play mailbag for the first time on the show. So John, I'm going to read some questions here. We'll bat it back and forth. Uh, thanks to the listeners for doing this. This is from uh, X Patton PGH. I'm assuming that's Pittsburgh. San Diego's pay- payroll is instructive. It shows teams not in mega markets can and will spend. Is there anything MLB can do to get perennial rebuilders like Pittsburgh, Kansas City, et cetera, to increase payroll and improve their products? First of all, I'll point out that the San Diego is not a small market. San Diego is the 12th market in the United States. So you could say it's a mid-market. Uh, they have an extraordinary owner. Uh, Peter Seidler, who has gone to extraordinary extremes, I would say, in spending. And uh, people around the game do not see how he's going to not lose a lot of money. So give him credit that he's willing to lose a lot of money and win. So you you, you can't take one example and say, why can't all the teams do that? Uh, give the guy credit. He wants to win. The other teams are not going to be like that. The Pirates don't have that kind of revenue. I'm with him. I don't think MLB is going to force them to spend more money, but I I would like to see Pittsburgh and many of the other small market teams spend more. 
I am not against the floor. You know, I think MLB proposed a floor, but with too low a ceiling. You know, I mean, I think we just need a floor. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure you have to have a ceiling, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they introduce one next next time, especially the way Steve Cohn has been willing to spend. But uh, I think I think the solution is not to implore each individual team is to set some kind of a floor. I don't know what you think about that. I know the union doesn't like it. Uh, but I want to see these small market teams spend more because right now you got teams, obviously you're one team at 380 million, but you have other teams in the 300 range. And then you've got teams that are spending one third of that or less. Yeah. Uh, I think without extraordinary owners, uh, you're not going to have extra- extraordinary spending. We're seeing it even in New York. Uh, you know, Steve Cohn's appearance with his wealth uh, changes the game. I think that maybe the future of all sports leagues is, it's not it's not even for the very wealthy. I think it's for the super, super wealthy uh, to get in it. Unless, guys, I made this point a few weeks ago. Look at this as like their yacht, right? Like if you own the yacht, you don't look at it as something that throws money back on you. You do it for status, joy, power, et cetera. Like I, and, and if it costs you $100 million or $200 million to maintain your yacht, it's for those things. And I think that would be the only way we're going to get that, you know, throughout all sports. Uh, not just uh, in the sport, though, that doesn't have a cap in some way. We're going to need super rich. John, uh, this person uh, headlines this Yankee question. It's no surprise. It's at Billy George 8. We got so Martin Steinbrenner and 8, I assume, is for Yogi. What's the purpose of keeping both Peraza and Volpe if only one can play shortstop on the Yankees roster? Wouldn't it make more sense to trade one for a missing piece at another position? Well, I mean, certainly uh, other teams have asked about them, and, uh, you know, that's always an option. I don't think that's a terrible idea if you can decide which one you want to keep. My feeling is Peraza's got a good chance to be their starting shortstop, and they probably look at Volpe as their best prospect overall. So it's probably not easy. So I get it with the Yankees, but, uh, you know, it's a, a reasonable thought. You know, the Yankees have traded a lot of prospects, but obviously they love Volpe. They love Peraza. Dominguez, who's their third prospect, they have offered him uh, to the Reds in that, uh, which would have been a nice deal for them to, to make, obviously, because Montas did not work out. And uh, the the Reds pitcher, Luis Castillo, would have been uh, quite a big plus for the Yankees to do. But for whatever reason, uh, they, their top two prospects are shortstops. I, I can see what the what the writer is saying, but uh, uh, then again, it's difficult to give up these guys who they think are going to be huge stars. Yeah, look, our next guest, John, when we're on, on this show is uh, Jed Hoyer, who runs the Cubs. They signed Dansby Swanson. They're moving their shortstop, Nico Horner, to second base. The Astros won another championship last year. Alex Bregman was a shortstop. They put him at third base. Shortstops can move around in a, in a, in a time where we're going to get limited shifts you better have a rangy second baseman, not just a guy who plays short right field. If but the 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 biggest problem for the Yankees should be trying to figure out where both of these guys play, if they could, by the way, play at a high level. And I don't think the Yankees could overtake the Astros unless they start playing a different way on offense. And maybe these two guys are the beginning of them playing a different way on offense. Right, and they may end up trading kind of Falefa and. Glaber Torres, right? I mean, it looks like they have a glut at the moment, but uh, it does feel like those two are on the block uh, along with some other guys and just have not been able to find the right trade. Yeah, John, let's let's give the uh, other side of town some equal time here. Uh, this is from at Mill Manor. 
Is there a Pete Alonzo extension before opening day? You know, it's hard to get wrap your head around the idea that, you know, he's already $110 million on the tax. You sign uh, Pete Alonzo and you're going to end up being at $125 million or something like that on tax. So uh, not going to be an easy one. Uh, not that McNeil was. I mean, everybody praised that McNeil deal, how great it is. But, you know, it's a four-year deal, $50 million, $12.5 million uh, AAV. Um, he was going to make 6.25 or so, maybe up to seven in arbitration. You know, he's added more tax for himself. And then, you know, uh, he obviously is willing to spend, uh, wants to keep these great players around. It's going to make an effort. I, I personally think it's going to be difficult. So I, I, I would guess not. But uh, I don't know. Maybe you have a better take on this. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult one, John. I think there's a lot of mirror to judge in that he started later a college guy. So his first full season is until 24. Judge was 25. So he becomes a free agent a little older as opposed to Judge, though, he's not a great athlete. Uh, one of the reasons I think the Mets invested in McNeil is they think back to ball skills age well. Uh, lack of athleticism tends to not age well. Having said that, after Judge, Alonzo is the foremost power hitter in the sport uh, over the last five years. And generally, power gets paid for in the industry. So I think it's that middle one about... How does this age, but he does, has the one skill that we're usually willing to pay a ton of money for. I think it's a, I think it's a delicate uh, balance there. Yeah, and he is very popular with the fans. And, he and is there's that like judge, right? And also, he is yeah. their, their big power source, right? So um, it's going to be difficult to ultimately uh, let him go, but they still have a little time on that. With Steve Cohn there, it's hard to see him uh, leaving. But uh, then again, this at this moment... Uh, not an easy one to get done. Yeah, tough one. John, let's go broader again here. This is from uh, AGO, A-G-O underscore 8834 with an AL West question. The Astros are clear favorites to win the AL West. So you guys think that the race for second place could be a close one between the Mariners, Angels, and Rangers. No A's there. We're really the A's. No. <laughs> the A's are not in the race. You know, we always praise the Angels. Uh, one of our first shows, didn't we love the Angels? <laughs> and boy, that, we keep bringing that up. Uh, Again, I love what the Angels did, but I mean, frankly, the Rangers did more. And uh, with everything that they did, I'm not going to be shocked if Texas finishes second. I know I'm always seen as the Mariners' detractor, and they're they're really good too. Uh, they're probably going to be picked for second, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise and and go with Texas here. I think the Mariners also have a little more farm depth. Uh, than Texas and the Angels. And so therefore, if it's kind of bunched in July, I think they're the ones that could probably be most aggressive for whatever best on the marketplace. I do think that all three of those teams are trying. John, it goes back to the question at the beginning with the Padres, why the Pittsburgh. It's great to see like a bunch of teams where suddenly we're thinking, hey, the Astros, they're the class, but there are three teams that could push them at least a little bit. Uh, this year it doesn't have to they don't have to win the division by 20 games each time so you know maybe maybe we could get something else let's go back to new york for one uh uh this is from uh a yankee question from at the guy's got your name john hoey h-o-e-y i don't even want to guess uh what it might be are the yankees hunting upgrades at third base and left field until mid-season 
Hicks and Donaldson, Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson can't be the plan to try to topple Houston. Well, it does appear that they're likely to get those jobs. Uh, Hicks is in a competition. Donaldson is the guy at third base, but I, I think they expect or hope that it is Hicks. They are paying a lot of money for Hicks. He's still got years to go. So uh, I don't, do, you, do you have a different feeling of I mean, they're, they're saying it's a competition and I like what Cabrera did, but uh I don't see them upgrading, uh, and there really aren't many opportunities out there to upgrade big at this moment. So unless you go out and get Ryan Reynolds, and uh, from what I understand, the the asking price is way too high for them and for others, so that's not going to happen. You know, with what they have now, it's going to be Donaldson, and uh, I would say it's likely they're going to start with Hicks. I I, I don't know. They're saying it's a competition in left. You feel differently than I do, though. I think think they're going to go with Hicks if they can. Yeah, I wrote about this last week in the Post, John. I called Brian Cashman, and among the many things I asked him, I said, so, because he said Donaldson is the third baseman and Hicks is the favorite. He differentiated. He did say favorite, okay. Yeah, for for left field. And I said, well, what if everyone were making $720,000, which is the minimum salary? Would it still be those two guys? Or is this about, like, you want some bang for your buck here? The Yankees made a very aggressive seven-year, $70 million uh uh, deal with Hicks and have gotten almost nothing in return since they did that. They traded, made a trade that doesn't look great today, right? For Donaldson, Isaiah, kind of Falefa, and Ben Rodford, a catcher who never played for them last year. No, it looks terrible. Right. It looks terrible. So you're trying to derive stuff out of this. And he insisted not. I would say this is a Hal Steinbrenner question to me, John. At some point, they're probably going to have to chow down on these. The question is, should they be chowing down on them now? they got plenty of infield guys to play instead of Donaldson. To your point, they could go find another outfielder, et cetera. So I think those guys should and probably are on the clock. And the question is, how long is that clock? Do they look terrible in spring? And they say, well, we got to do something else. April, May, uh, it feels like neither guy makes, to me, it feels like neither guy makes it to the finish line. Yeah, I'm in favor of playing the best player, but it's not so clear that somebody else is better and uh, I get it. I mean, they're not going to say it's about the contract, but I think it's bad business to. You have a guy making what does Donaldson make? Almost twenty-five million dollars a year, right? You gotta you gotta play him if he does well. He might have a value of somewhat, not not twenty-five million, but something. You know, at this point, he has no value. So I I mean, even though I'm in favor of playing the best or whatever, I I, I get it, and uh, I, I understand why Hicks is the favorite. He has done it in the past. You look at the track record. There are reasons to say, you know what, if he can get close to what he's done in the past, uh, he's going to be okay. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not killing him for this if they go with Hicks and Donaldson. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I think that they should start with him and see what yes, it looks like. I That's agree. why I put it on Hal Steinbrenner. Like, what is his tolerance for if it doesn't look good? John, why don't I close our first ever mailbag with a really, really hard-hitting question. It's from Off-Season Dude. And so you're gonna to have to put a lot of thought into this. Which one of you would look better in a beard? I, I mean, it's an easy answer, John. But like, you know, whatever <laughs> you need to do to make your life feel better. Well, a beard would cover up more of the face, so I, I'm gonna go with uh, with me. I think I, I think the beard would help me. I actually had a beard in college, and uh, yeah, my mother was not too happy with that. That I can say. Uh, so I, I'm gonna say I, the beard would be a better idea for me. 
Yeah, well, I got about three days going here. If you could see this, if you're following us on the That's app, three days? Podcast. Yes. That's about an hour for me, by the That's way. That's an hour for you. Okay, well. Not to brag. But... You're, swar- you're more swarthy or manly <laughs> or both. I'm going to go shave for the third time when we're done here. You, you know, at MLB Network, I've never gotten a piece of advice like talk faster, talk slower, more of this, more of that. I've gotten one piece of advice in about 10 years. Shave. Shave. That's that's my piece of Well, advice. you came in with a stubble one a couple times, so I, I get that. I I, I came in with a stumble also a few yeah, times. Yeah. There, but, uh, no, that's you for, that's for that, a different You're talking podcast. about college years now. Yeah. If, if you stick with this podcast, this show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, next up is the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs, Jed Hoyer. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and we're so happy to be joined by the president of baseball operations of the Chicago Cubs, Jed Hoyer, three-time champion uh, as either an assistant GM, GM uh, of either the Red Sox or the Cubs. Uh, I believe 12 seasons uh, complete now with the Cubs uh, and uh, going into the 2023 season here. So, Jed, thank you so much for joining us here. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Jed, I want to start off in this place. John and I were there, obviously, 2016. The team wins a championship for the first time. Since uh, 1908, uh, obviously, it was one of the big stories in the history of baseball, you guys doing that. I think on the night you guys win, we think that's the beginning of a dynasty. And it probably says a lot to how hard that actually is to do. But now you're in the middle of a rebuild because that didn't last as long as you probably thought. Why didn't it last as long? And what is the lesson maybe you learn from that as you try to put something else back together? Yeah. So it's a great question. And, and honestly, it's a question that I've probably spent, you know, I mean, thousands and thousands of hours thinking about, um, you know, I think when we won, I remember, I think it was that year um, or maybe the next year, they fan had a thing of like the most talent under control at that point. We were like double any other team at that point. I mean, we had so much young talent on the books and we just won a world series. And I think you just felt like, okay, we're going to be back here every year. And to me, it's like one of the best lessons of my career. And there's a couple lessons. Number one, it's really hard, really hard to win. You know, we went to the LCS in 15, 16, and 17. You know, 2018, uh, we had a team that we finished tied for the best record in the National League. Um, but we got caught by the Brewers at the end of the year. And uh, we lost two one-game playoffs. And, you know, th- that four-year run was a really good run. But only one time um, were we able to – you know, get to the World Series and win it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of factors contributed to us um, sort of not being able to sustain that. Um, I think we could do three podcasts on all of those. I think that some of those were unique to having one in Chicago for the first time in 108 years. I think some of those were, you know, mistakes that we probably made, things we could have done, done better or different. I think that, you know, I think anyone that's good in this job, um, is probably a lot more self-critical than the fans or media, you know? And so there's no question I've sat and thought about the things we could have done differently, the things that, that we made mistakes with along the way. And and there are many, you know, Um, all that said, I'm pretty proud of what we did accomplish. And I think we, we had a run, uh, we had a really good run. You know, we just weren't able to sustain it past uh, the length of control we had of those players. Uh, We weren't able to get extensions to those players. We weren't able to, to continue winning. And, 
you know, that and COVID, we ended up in a situation where we had to reset. And my hope is that we can uh, get back to that place again, but I can learn some of the lessons we learned last time um, to build it and make it a little bit a little bit more sustainable this time. Joel and I are going to continue our good guy, bad guy routine that we started last week with Heim Bloom. And I'm going to ask you about the winter that you had, because I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you were clear, one of the clear winners. It looks from the outside like you accomplished every objective you probably wanted to do. You got a star for shortstop, and you have a very good shortstop who's going to move over to second and Nico Horner. So adding Dansby Swanson, then you added Bellinger, who obviously has a high upside, Mancini, Hosmer, a minimum deal. Um, how do you evaluate the winter? From the outside, it looks fantastic. I know you're going with a plan. Did you accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, so I think as far as what we thought we could accomplish going into the winter with kind of the amount of money we had with the holes we had to fill, I thought we did a really good job as a staff of of getting that done. I've done this job long enough and been around long enough to know that like ultimately all that really matters is what happens when we get on the field, how those players perform. You know, um, we've all seen you know unheralded winters turn out great. By far the best offseason I've ever been a part of was um, the 03, going into 03 in Boston. And we signed Bill Miller, we signed Ortiz, we signed Mike Timlin, Ramiro Mendoza, Kevin Millar, and that ended up being this incredible offseason that no one talked about. And I've been part of offseasons that were really well heralded that ended up being really poor, you know? And so I, I think that all that matters is how the team performs together. But, you know, we had our goal was to, to kind of fill the big blocks that we had. You know, we felt like improving our infield was something that was really important. We felt like filling center field was something that was really important. Uh, two rotation spots. And then adding some power on offense, like those are sort of the main things we needed to accomplish. You know, one thing I will say is that I think um, the better your farm system is and the more your farm system is turning out players, a lot of times the simpler your offseason can become, right? Like I look at the Cardinals, for example, they needed to fill their catcher hold. They did that. But right now they've got a lot of really good young talent. These guys are up in the big leagues. They're performing. And so that's a pretty simple offseason, but they didn't have to have a complex offseason. Um, there's other teams like that as well where they needed to fill one or two holes, but the rest of their holes were generally filled. You know, unfortunately for us, we had a lot of holes we needed to to fill to compete. I thought we did as good a job of that as we could have given our plan, but I hope going forward that we can have many fewer holes. I think that our farm system is, is much improved. Um, I think over the next few years, we'll start to churn out a lot of players. And then when that happens, you you gain that efficiency financially. You gain those young players, and you don't have to go out and add two starters and a shortstop and a center fielder and a DH bat. And, like, like that's really challenging in, a, in an offseason. You can't do that every year. Yeah, there was a lot there that I'd love to follow up on. Uh, you mentioned the Cardinals signed the catcher. That's your catcher, Wilson Contreras, <laughs> a few things. But John has typecast me, so I guess I've got to stick with the <laughs> again here. Um, you do I it naturally, to- Joel. I think <laughs> Thank you. you know when it when your DNA is your DNA, you leave yeah. the league in RBI in DNA. So <laughs> it's such as such as life. Um, these last few years, your payroll was down, and there certainly was a lot of arrows thrown your way, Tom Ricketts' way, the owner of the team. Uh, when you brought your payroll way down these past couple of years, it's back up this year. You'll be up over 200 $210 million dollars as a payroll, especially for luxury tax purposes. What's it like to be at the center of the storm, though? Uh, when you're being criticized for taking the team the other way, even if in your heart of hearts you know the last dynasty, the the, the the previous group is done, and I have to do something else. When I took the job, I knew there was going to be some really challenging decisions. Um, 
you know, Theo, uh, you know, left a year early um, in part because he felt like, you know, this, these should be my decisions, you know, uh, moving forward. And so I knew there'd be some hard decisions. We did have to take the payroll down after, um, after COVID. And I think, you know, when we did that, we knew we were sort of transitioning this group. So, we, you know, we traded Darvish for young talent. And then in some ways I knew that that was potentially going to set up a, us needing to make some trades mid season if we weren't competing. And, I mean, of course, those are like brutally hard decisions to have to make. You know, these are guys that won the World Series here. They're iconic Cubs players. But ultimately, you know, I think you have to have the conviction to make hard decisions in these jobs. And, you know, I believe very much in what uh, we accomplished as a staff and in, in kind of uh, resetting our farm system, getting young talent for those players. And we've reinvested the money, um, you know, in, in our roster. So, um, you know, I think we're on the front. Like, we're not there yet. We're not churning out those players every year. We're not um, at that place where I, I, that I just described where we don't have a lot of holes every year, but I feel like we're start, we're on the front edge where I think is going to be a, a really good run of success. And like I said, hopefully we can learn from some of the mistakes last time. Um, but I think, you know, making hard decisions is the job, right? And if you're not willing to make some hard decisions, then I think it's going to be challenging for you, especially in, in a big market. And, we did make some hard decisions. And I think, you know, over time, I think that um, I don't expect people to understand. I don't expect people to um, not put on their, the, the, uh, the jersey of their old fa favorite player and not be disappointed. I, I understand that that's part of being a fan, but I am confident that those decisions uh, will lead us to a very good place in the future. Well, two of your biggest signs, obviously Swanson was the biggest signing and uh, Bellinger is a big one as well. Wanted to get your take on that. They've kind of gone in opposite directions. Bellinger was an MVP, struggled the last couple of years. Uh, Swanson, he got less than the other big star shortstops because he doesn't have the track record, but he looked as good as any of them. I think he probably had the best year of all of the four great shortstops last year, at least arguably so. Uh, what are your expectations uh, for Bellinger? Can he get back to the MVP level or at least all-star level? And also for Swanson, was he that player that we saw last year, which was, frankly, equal to Bogertz and Correa and Turner? Yeah, no, good questions. And I think with Bellinger, I think, you know, starting with the expectations, I mean, one guy wins MVP or two guys win the MVP every year, right? So expecting him to have a thousand OPS and play gold glove center field, I think is probably, um, that's hard for anybody, but the hope is certainly he gets back to, uh, you know, being a all-star caliber player, gets back to being a, you know, unbelievable talent at, at age 27 that he is. And he's working unbelievably hard. You know, one of the things that made me really happy in the process was that it was very clear from the minute we expressed interest after he was non-tendered that he wanted a one-year deal in, in a place where he felt like he could reestablish re his value. And I think that was important to me, right? And not looking at a multi-year deal. Like I want, I believe in myself. I want to go to a place where I can have success. And I felt, I felt really good in the process that we could be that place. I think it's a great ballpark for him. We have every day at Batson center field, both of our hitting coaches uh, were with the Dodgers um, and he knew, knew those guys from the minor leagues. So we had some, some reasons for him to be comfortable here. He's been working unbelievably hard. Uh, he's gone to our complex in Arizona every day since we signed him, um, working on his strength, uh, working on his swing with our with our coaches, and um, he's incredibly dedicated. So, it, it, you know, I, my hope is that he gets back to a excellent level. Uh, it's not going to be through lack of trying, that's for sure. And uh, feel really good about where this is going into spring training. You know, with Dansby, all along we felt like it was a great fit for us, um, both in terms of him as a player. 
um, but also in terms of who he is as a person. I mean, he really the guy wants to win. He won a national championship at Vanderbilt. He won you know a title as a shortstop in Atlanta. And everything he asked us about in the process was about winning. Like, how do I, if I sign up with you guys, what are you guys going to do to win? And I do believe like having a, an excellent defensive shortstop um, who's going to, you know, I think he's going to play that position for a long, long time, you know, being, being a leader of that group uh, and being a guy that, I mean, I have no doubt uh, when he goes to bed at night, he does not feel like he's had his best season in the big leagues. And I think that's really important. I think he's, uh, I think his trend lines are going in the right direction and, yeah, we couldn't be more excited that it worked out that he he chose us. Well, I, I'm going to follow up. This is going to be positive, Judd. It's amazing. Uh, I'm going to follow up on on that because by signing Swanson, you moved Nico Horner over to second base, and you're doing this in a year where there are significant rule changes coming. And I wonder how much that was baked into your decision. If there's not going to be a shift, uh, extreme shifts, uh, and even Bellinger, right in center field, is a high level center fielder. How much was that baked in that there's new rules coming and we'd be stupid not to uh, we'd be stupid to ignore them. And now you have rangy players at both places. Yeah. I and mean, that's where the game is going. Right. The game is is going to a place of athleticism. Uh, it might take a little bit of time to, to get there, but it was something that was very important to us that we knew that if we sign one of those shortstops, uh, we knew that Nico would move over to second. And um, I, I think he's going to be the favorite to win the gold glove, you know, at second. And so our, our middle infield should be really good defensively. And then uh, obviously Bellinger is really good in center. You know, Hap won a gold glove last year uh, in left. You know, Say actually struggled a little bit defensively last year compared to what he had done in Japan. Uh, our hope is that being here, knowing the ballparks, having a year under his belt, um, given his speed and his arm, that there's no question he should, he, he'll get back to the level he played defense in Japan. And I think when you add that up, we should have a really good defensive team and, you know, in my experience, there's some of the um, the best teams I've been around and some of the teams that surprised the most were teams that were really built on on having really good run prevention. And, you know, so much of what we think about as pitching is oftentimes really good defense. And and on the flip side, when you have really bad defense, you can um, you can bastardize a good pitching staff really quickly. You know, so we should really catch the ball this year. I think we'll be very reliable on defense. And um, my hope is certainly that that um, that ticks up our our pitching staff and it'll it'll give confidence to those young pitchers that they know that, you know, double plays are going to get turned. They know the balls in the gap are going to get caught. And I do think that makes a huge difference over the course of the season. You mentioned uh, how you like Swanson, the fact that he won championships at Vanderbilt, at the Braves. Bellinger also won a World Series. And another player who won a World Series and was considered a star player when he became a free agent the first time was uh, Eric Hosmer. So I'm wondering what your first base situation is. How do you look at that? You have a prospect, uh, Mervis, who people like. Uh, Mancini, I obviously has played some first, and you got Hosmer in on a, a minimum deal. Uh, is Hosmer the starter going in, or is that a mix and match situation? And uh, you know, what are you what are your expectations for yeah, Eric? You know, my expectations is that he's he's certainly going to play first base against right hand pitching and, and and be given that shot. Um, we had talked to the San Diego about him a number of times over the last couple of years. And um, I knew that, you know, this was a place that I think he he was excited to play. Um, he loves the idea of you know playing in Wrigley and, and I'm excited to, you know, he's been, he was in a tough situation in San Diego the last couple of years, constantly getting, you know, being rumored in deals and things like that. So I'm excited to get Eric here, uh, make him comfortable. I think, I think that, you know, he's going to play really well for us and um, it's sort of be given a, a, a new life. That's not, 
under the the pressure of that of that contract in in San Diego. Um, we signed Mancini to he can he can DH, he can play first, he can play a little corner outfield, but we really needed more power. You know, we have a, a team that um, does some some good things offensively, but we lacked the, sort of like the punching power last year. We had a, we we struggled to score runs in bunches, and we struggled to hit homers. And you know, adding Mancini was um, w- was really exciting for us. And then obviously Mervis had a great year in the minors, and you, know, you can't have enough depth. I mean, I think that if there's one thing um, you learn year after year is that whatever lineup you write out in paper you know, going into spring training, like this is probably the last time you'll write that lineup out, right? Like it, it the whole course of the year is, is always an exercise. And what is your depth? What is your, what does your roster look like? And, you know, having, having, you know, a lot of guys to, to fill different holes, I think is really important because, you know, again, like you're going to have injuries and poor performance. That's a given. It's, it's how you respond to those things. Yeah. You know, you mentioned your farm system and you mentioned breaking down that previous team. If I get a little parochial here, though, it will lead to the larger issue of the Cubs. You Two of the big trades you made to do this were with the Mets and Yankees at the trade deadline a couple of years ago. You traded Javier Baez to get Pete uh, Crow Armstrong, and you traded Anthony Rizzo to get Kevin Alcantara. Uh, I wonder if you could give us an update. Those, are, those guys are showing up on pretty much – this is the time of year where everyone does their top 100 list, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, et cetera, and those players are on it. Uh, what is their trajectory? Yeah, I mean, we're excited about both guys. They're both, you know, very athletic outfielders, um, uh, which is, again, I think you talk about, you know, run prevention. Both those guys have a chance to be really good defenders. Uh, you know, Pete had a great year last year. You know, he hadn't played, you know, he, he, we only played, like, I think, six games in in, uh, in 2021 because of the injury, which is probably the reason we were able to acquire him, that he had missed the whole year. Um, we took that that chance, and he played great last year at two at two different levels, and you know, I'm excited about his defense in center field. Um, you know, I feel like when you look around baseball, it probably is the hardest position to fill, like a, a guy that can really play defense in center field. Um, it's hard because it's so rare to be able to fill the center field hole in free agency. Um, you know, the center field defense peaks at some, such a young age. And, you know, by the time guys get to free agency, sometimes you can sign a center fielder, but usually it's signing a center fielder to move to a corner in a year or two, right? So, it's a, it, it's such a hard position to fill. You almost have to do it through your system, and it hasn't been a position of strength for us. Candidly, we've we've struggled to to find someone that can really do it. So, you know, excited about Bellinger this year, and then hopefully, um, you know, with, with Pete, we can find someone that can you know really play center. And then, I mean, Kevin Alcantara can certainly play center field. Um, no question, he's super athletic. He's really he's six foot six, but I think I feel like he plays with. Um, his levers don't look quite that long when he plays. He's very athletic and just a wonderful kid. And I'm excited to, you know, sort of have him in the, in the system for the second year. Um, he had a really good year last year um, for us in, in Myrtle beach was a, a tough place to hit. So getting him out of that environment and getting him into some, some better, better hitting environments. I'm excited to see what he can do, but you know, I've been on both sides of those trades. Like when you're winning and when you're trying to, to push to win the world series, you, you end up trading prospects away and when you're in our situation before, which is we're trading those guys away, you're trading for prospects. And, you know, listen, both the Mets and the Yankees were aggressive to to fill their holes. And, you know, I mean, I've done back-to-back deadline deals with with cash because they're winning and because they are they have this window where they have Aaron Judge and they had, you know, they, they got Rizzo and they've got Garrett Cole. And so, you know, I always think about it as a, as a fan of those teams. Yes, you're giving up prospects, but you're doing it for the right reason, which is, listen, you're trying to win championships. And that's why we 
that's why we show up to work every day. You know, the Cubs uh, is a special organization and team. And you mentioned how you would have liked to have kept one of the stars from the championship team of 2016, which was a quite a special championship, as Joel mentioned before. I know you tried and made offers at some point uh, for all of them, Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo. Um, Rizzo is the only one who had been outspoken and, you know, somehow had a bad taste in the, his mouth. It seemed like you made a, a reasonable offer for him to me. But I'm wondering, looking back on it, is there anything else you would have done differently? Now, Bryant was injured last year. Baez had a poor season. Uh, doesn't look like it's really come back to bite you other than the fact that Rizzo has continued to play well. Um, what are your thoughts looking back on that? Is there anything you could have done to keep one or more of these guys? Yeah, it, it's interesting you said that because we were having that conversation in the office yesterday. Just think, thinking back on, we approached, I think, almost every guy after the 2016 season, you know, and I think in some ways we could have not, you, know, you can't predict, hey, we're going to win the World Series this year and therefore it's going to be almost impossible to sign those guys. But I think looking back, it's a really hard time to try to sign guys to an extension, right? We just won this iconic championship and we're offering these guys, um, you know, extensions that we thought were very much, you know, in, in line with the market or better, but they just, they were not in the mind space at that point. I mean, they were, you know, making, they, they, you know, they're falling out of bed and making money on card shows and autograph signings and, and, and things like that. And they were rightfully, they were, you know, rock stars in this city at that moment. And so when I look back on us not signing those guys, I, I would have loved it if we could have kept one or two of those guys, honestly, it would that would have been great. We, we didn't. I do think that like the championship probably had something to do with that, that, that in that moment, it was really difficult, you know, like, with, um, and I think there's, there were some different circumstances, like with Bryant, uh, there was a grievance that was sort of hanging over that, that made some things harder um, with Javi. Frankly, we were, we were pretty deep in negotiations on an extension right before COVID hit. And then once COVID hit, we had to table those discussions. And like, I'll always wonder if that deal would have gotten done had COVID not hit a week later. And then obviously with Rizzo, you know, my one thing I learned, uh, one lesson I've, I've, I've talked about this in the public is I we, we negotiated during spring training and I don't um, there's not I don't think I like to do that that much anymore. I'm going to try to avoid that. I just think that um, it started off the season on a bad front. You know, I, I've always I've always driven to and from Arizona with my dogs. And I remember driving back from spring training in 2021 and like opening day was like, you know, the next day I'm driving back. And the only discussion was of Rizzo's extension. Rizzo did a, did a press conference. He, he felt he was upset that we hadn't gotten a deal done. I was like, this is a horrible way to, to lead into the season. And and I look at it as, you know, I take responsibility for that. Like I should have put a deadline much earlier um, and given some, like some space before the season. And so, I mean, I don't, whether it affected performance or not, I don't know. That team was actually in first place close to July 1st before we really collapsed. But it left a bad taste in, I think, everyone's mouth. And uh, it's something I'm going to try to avoid going forward is that try to try to avoid those things that drag really deep into spring training because it isn't a great way to prepare for a season talking about a, a negotiation. And that's on the team to avoid that situation, I think. You know, it's funny, Jed, is we wondered when the Aaron Judge thing fell apart just before the season last year, was he going to have a bad season because of it? I guess it does. One size doesn't fit all with that one. Uh, so it's, it's amazing. 100%. We've all seen it, too. Like you have guys in contract years that have their best year. They're just 
laser focused. They in, enjoy the challenge of it. It isn't a distraction to them. It's a motivator. And then we've all seen other guys that just the, the weight of it really hurts them, you know? And I, I don't know what I, I'm not smart enough to know which guys it's going to affect. Right. But I, I, it, it, it is, it feels like it, things go one way or the other sometimes. And obviously, I mean, I give, I give judge so much credit. I mean, to go out there after, you know, turning down was $217 million or whatever he turned down and to go out and have that kind of year. I mean, that was incredibly fun to watch and, and really was um, the most remarkable walk year that we've ever seen, you know, and uh, I guess you, I guess it shows he can play under the, in the pressure of New York um, being able to do something like that, which is, you know, it's pretty unbelievable and, uh, and good for him for, for being able to, you know, to want to prove that. Yeah, Jed, if I was just wrapping up here, and thank you so much for joining us, of course, uh, I, I would go full circle because I thought you said something at the beginning about how hard it is to win a championship. I, I, I would say that no team has been better run for the last decade than the Dodgers, and they've won one championship in a 60-game season, right? Like, they're hard to win. And you talked broadly about the lessons. I wonder if we could kind of wrap up here by specific. You're trying to get your team back and then keep it there longer. What is there one overriding thing that you learned from it not repeating that you are now applying to try to make the Cubs champions again and then consistent after being a champion? So I think a couple lessons. I think, you know, one of the things I learned, and I'll say this broadly without being too specific, is I think you have to adapt when you're on top. I think you have to make changes when you're on top. I think that if you there's a tendency, a human nature tendency, when you sort of get to the top of the mountain, you kind of look around, enjoy the view, feel good about what you just, the hike you just went on. And I think what I learned in a lot of different ways is that's the moment you have to get get back to work. You have to make changes. I think that team chemistry is a the fleetingest of things, right? That one team that has this, this special bond like you, you're going to leave for the winter. You're going to come back in spring training. It's all different. You know, and I've talked to so many people at it. Rossi has talked to me about like the 2013 Red Sox versus the 2014 Red Sox. You know, I've watched it, you know, 04, 05, you know, 16 to, to 17. Like you can't bottle up that moment. The moment's gone. Right. And so I think when you, when you are on top, you have to make changes in how you develop players. You have to make changes in, in uh, your everyday lineup. You have to, you have to, to mix and match things um, according, not, you, you can't bottle it up and just like uh, um, sustain it that way, right? In some ways, the way to sustain it is actually by continuing to make changes and continuing to, to move forward. And that's probably the thing I learned the most is that I thought, you know, there's some things in our game that changed dramatically around 2016. And I think at that moment, we had this amazing farm system, this great group of young players, we were winning, and I didn't think we adapted fast enough. I don't think we made enough changes to our, our core group of players in that moment. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is that the way to sustain things, I think, is by continuing to make changes. And I think if you try to keep things the same or you're stubborn to what you did before, I think you're going to lose out. Yeah, well, uh, John and I never change. And that's why we're changing the name of the, con of the podcast to Good Cop, Bad Cop. Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> on Good Cop, Bad Cop. Uh, have a healthy spring training and a great season, Jed. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We thank Jed Hoyer so much. He was really terrific with us. We do get lucky, John. We get a lot of good guests. And now we wrap up the show with what we've wrapped up the show with the past few weeks. Uh, regular segment, I guess, now. 
hit or error from the previous week, John? What's what's your hit or error? Well, we're going to continue on our good guy, bad guy theme because I'm going to anticipate an error from you, and I'm going to try to be positive and go with a hit here. I'm going to give the Texas Rangers credit. Uh, I like some of their minor league deals. I normally don't talk. We don't normally talk about minor league deals on here, but. Uh, you know, might as well give a shot. Travis Jankowski looked good for the Mets at the beginning of last year. Ian Kennedy has had a good career. So has Danny Duffy. And so I give them credit. I love their winter. Bigger picture. Bringing in DeGrom. Bringing in Heaney. Bringing back Martin Perez. Odorisi. Bringing Evaldi. I mean, they've got a whole rotation uh, that they uh, acquired in the winter. So Chris Young, who was a pitcher, now in charge of baseball operations for the Texas Rangers, I'm going to give him my gold. Oh, we don't call it gold star. He's going to get my hit this week. And uh, now that's two out of three hits for me. So uh, we'll see about this good guy, bad guy routine. But I'm predicting an error from you. Yeah, you know, you're digging deep for to to, to act like you're actually a good guy if you're doing Travis Jankowski. And I said I it's like- a routine. It's a good guy routine. I didn't say it was a good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I get it. John, I'm going to shock you. I'm going to break my streak and I'm going to go with a hit as well. Oh, nice. On a Saturday night in New York was the 98th Baseball Writers of Association's uh, annual dinner. It hadn't been held for several years because of COVID. We were back. Good for baseball. All eight major award winners, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year manager, you know, including Aaron Judge, Justin Verlander, who was the AL MVP. They, they were there. Buck Walter was on the dais. We gave out the major awards. But it was, let, I want to make it personal. This was a great night for the New York Post. Right. We honored the great late photographer, Anthony Causey, who unfortunately died of COVID during um, the, the the terrible days early on. Like right there, I was Easter Sunday in 2020. Uh, everyone who worked with Anthony loved him so much. He was almost always in Met Camp for spring training. We are honored George King, who was our beat writer for about 20 years. He retired during COVID. We never got a chance to give him his long and meritorious award. And then I actually presented to our colleague, Mike Vaccaro. Um, the You Gotta Have Heart Award uh, that he shared with Howie Rose, who's coming back from bladder cancer. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mike had a long health issue. Uh, and uh, on August 9th, uh, because of eventually something called Charcot's ankle, where, you know, essentially the ligaments fall away and your ankle just flopped. Mike had ahead of everything from his left shin down amputated. And Mike has made an incredible recovery because Literally from day one, I think I talked to him the next day, August 10th on the phone, John, he, he, I was crying and he was encouraging me uh, about it. Uh, and he just said, I'm going to tackle this with enthusiasm. I want to golf again. I want to, with his wife, Lee, I want to go travel again. And most important, I want to get back to the press box. And Mike has made it now back to the press box a few times. And for those of us who love him so much and love sitting next to him, and it's one of my favorite things to do at a ballpark is sit and talk baseball and movies and basketball and all the things that we love uh, together. It was great because that night when I gave the award to Mike, he walked to the podium to accept this award. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Mike Vaccaro making that comeback is unbelievable. The guy is the greatest worker Great columnist, uh, sports writer of the year in New York, and I'm looking forward to sharing the press box with him. I've only been at the Post for a year, so I have not been able to do it uh, yet, and uh, it will be a treat. I will consider that hit for uh, Mike Vaccaro and all all the great people, not for you, because, you know, it doesn't count as a hit if you're giving yourself the hit, right? I mean, I understand you were a big organizer of the dinner, 
But uh, we'll say that was a hit for Mike Vaccaro uh, making his comeback. I said something positive, John. You can't even give me that. I gave but it can't be about yourself, can it? I mean, it wasn't about know. me. It was about me. <laughs> it was about the dinner. All I just right. happened to be there. Just because you were lazy and stayed in Miami and didn't come up for it doesn't mean that that I'm glorifying. <laughs> now we're getting closer to error. Now, now we're getting closer. Well, to we're error. getting closer to our history. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you'll, you'll share a lot of that history if you stick with us on the show, which is a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew hearts who always helps us navigate through our personality quirks as a producer of this show don't forget yes app this podcast drops uh every wednesday by noon subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get podcasts give us a five star rating and don't forget to join us we're getting close to spring training we'll take you on the journey if you stick with the show with joel sherman and john Heyman.